saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Fenner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Tuesday, March the 1st, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Matthew chapter 19. We come this Tuesday right before the beginning of Lent, where it is the season of repentance. And this is something we hear throughout the book of Matthew that we've heard already. It's a time to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We had a wonderful um, uh, time with Pastor Brian Wolfmailer, who helped us to remember that repentance, as we look at Lent, is contrition for sin and faith in Christ. And today, as we look at his word and cling to his promises, we come to something that all affects us, which is divorce. Something that's very a touchy subject, but something that Jesus speaks very clearly about. And just a reminder to our listeners that when we come to this as part of KFUO and the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, we don't ask, well, how is Jesus wrong in this? But we know that he is right because he is the Lord and his word is inspired and true. So we ask the question, Lord, how can we make sure we faithfully follow your words, knowing that your grace is sufficient? So this morning, open your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome the Reverend Dr. Brian Saunders, District President of the Iowa East District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Saunders, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you. We're actually Iowa District East. Iowa East. Did District I say West? Oh, for Pete's sake. Did I say Iowa? Hold on a second here. Okay. All right. Iowa East. There it is. No, I, now I know I, you're I, on the East side. <laughs> Iowa District East. That's our. Oh, my name. goodness. That's how. Okay. Now we're getting details here. Iowa District East. Really? There we go. Is that, is Iowa, Iowa District West? Is that the other one then? Yep. Yeah, oh, the, my goodness. The, All right. Those All right. who use the term Iowa East District, that's the LWML. Okay, so we're you are not part of the LWML is what you're saying. I get it. I get it. So, Pastor, uh, President Saunders, uh, tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the Iowa District East. Um, I've been district president here 13 years and uh, served uh, parishes in uh, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and in... Uh, Muscatine, Iowa, before being elected to district president, and while being district president, was issued a call to be the associate pastor at Our Redeemer in Cedar Falls, and so um, continued to have parish life as uh, as a district president, which I think is very important. If I'm going to be overseeing pastors, I should continue to be a pastor, and um, so... That's up to the current in my service. Uh, My wife's name is Karen. We've been married uh, 44 years. We have four children, uh, three daughters and a son. And uh, with their families, we have uh, 12 grandchildren. Um, What's going on in Iowa District East? Um, uh, The the work that's been given to the church. Uh, Our pastors are well prepared by our seminaries. They're called and ordained and installed, and they carry out uh, the preaching of the Word, the administration of the sacraments, the care of souls in visitation, uh, bestowing the forgiveness of sins uh, throughout the church year. Uh, in our rural areas, we're kind of challenged a little bit because the population is 
is uh, it's not even staying static anymore. It's it's declining. Um, so we're we're working hard. Uh, we know that there's families who are unchurched in those rural areas. So getting the gospel to them, that the Holy Spirit would bring them into the to the church. Um, we do uh, quite a bit of work with with Kenya, Africa, with Tanzania, uh, with Spain, as far as international missions go. Uh, we have two campus ministries at the University of Iowa and the University of Northern Iowa, a camp, a uh, very large um, university hospital where we have a chaplain uh, that we support. And we have a couple of mission congregations that are doing very, very well uh, right now. And uh, oh, there's probably some things I'm leaving out, but um, both um, local and international. Well, thanks be to God for this, because it's something that for many of us, for me, example, uh, Iowa is a state I drive through to get to St. Louis or my daughter who goes to school at Concordia, Missouri at the high school there. So I drive through it. And if I didn't know any better, I just know that there's a come and go. Um, I know there's some quick stars and places to eat occasionally. So it's great to hear of the ministry that happens in Iowa in both districts. And now I know <laughs> it's Iowa District East. I'm always learning something. And uh, thank you for that, Pastor. So, Pastor, as we begin our time today, we're here to be in the Word of God, and we're excited to have you. Can you begin our time in prayer? Sure. Gracious Lord and Father, your Word is truth. The only truth which makes us uh, wise to salvation through faith in the crucified Savior we praise you, Lord God, for this revelation of your love and the saving gospel of your redemption through Jesus Christ and his blood. May nothing be more precious to us than your word. May we at all times reach for the Bible when we need guidance and counsel, comfort and strength, healing and forgiveness. Help us to grow in understanding and knowledge of your revelation, and may we feel at home in it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text today, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or as on this live program, call 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. We'll begin our time today as we are in Matthew chapter 19. I will read the first 15 verses and come back to hear some introductory thoughts from uh, Pastor Saunders. And reminder to our listeners, this is a this is like Pastor said so well, and as he prayed, is we look at this and say we look for guidance. And too often we look for guidance from other places. And as this is a touchy subject, we pray for the Holy Spirit, as Pastor did, to help us today. We'll be reading the first 15 verses of Matthew chapter 19, and we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that, the, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? He said to them, 
Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive the same, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made, made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Then children were brought to him, and he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. This is our text today. Uh, President Saunders, how do you want to start us off? Uh, Yeah, this is, as you said, a uh, rather sensitive subject uh, in our day and age. Um, Divorce has uh, been on the rise in our culture, and uh, the church is not immune to it. And unfortunately, it's also on the rise in the Missouri Synod. Um, Two years ago, I presented a paper on clergy divorce uh, to to a, a group that had me come and speak. And in my research, I found that of all the denominations, the Missouri Senate is um, uh, probably the uh, the one that that has the fewest divorces in it. Hmm. Uh, but at that rate, it, it, it's still um, not a, not a blessed thing condoned by our Lord at all. So the church uh, has this in it. Pastors have to deal with it. Uh, families have to deal with it. And it only it doesn't only affect the the man and the woman involved. It affects children if there's children in the household, and extended family, uh, and uh, and in in the congregation when a, when a couple um, divorce, it it disrupts um, many relationships. And so uh, it, it's a topic um, that gets a lot of discussion today. And uh, Matthew 19 is used quite often in my years in the parish, uh, sometimes in the form of a question, pastor, is it all right then if I get a divorce because this happened, whatever that mm-hmm. the, this is. And uh, that, that's definitely not what, uh, what Matthew 19 is, is re- recorded for us. Um, and Jesus words in it, particularly verses four through, through, um, through 10 in, in particular, so I think it gets misused. I think it's it's uh, um, a means by which one might comfort themselves in something that they're trying to justify that they ought not. Uh, so that's maybe my introduction into it. Yeah, no, that's that's perfect, uh, President Saunders. And as we look at the text, it is, <clears throat> like you said, so well is maybe we're asking the wrong question because if you say, well, I can get a divorce because of this, correct? I mean, we're, we're no different than the Pharisees when we ask that question. Am I, am I along the right lines there in verse three, when someone comes to their pastor says, well, is it okay if I get divorced because of this? Is that similar to what the Pharisees are saying? Yeah. Well, the Pharisees had another alternative. Um, That's true. I'm not sure they actually cared anything about divorce. 
they they just wanted to trap Jesus. Uh, in verse three, when it says they came to test him, uh, it's the same word used in chapter four when Satan tested Jesus, right, uh, to deter him from his mission. And they wanted to, to deter Jesus from his mission because his mission was interfering with their their lordship uh, over their lives and their lordship over the law. And so they came to, to test him. Um, their question really reveals the fact they didn't know the scriptures very well, if at all. Um, basically wanted to ask, is it, you know, is it uh, lawful to divorce uh, a man, divorce his wife for, for all, uh, all reasons, all causes? There was two schools of thought, two seminaries, actually, at that time in the first century for the rabbis. Uh, one was the school of Hillel. And one was the school of Shammai. Uh, Hillel would be today what we call the uh, the liberals. Um, their question they would ask reading the scriptures would be, "What does this mean to me?" And of course, uh, that means you have more opinions than you do people. Uh, and and he he was the one who who pretty much uh, gave credence to well, if it means to you to be rid of her for any and all reasons then go ahead. School of Shammai was quite a bit more uh, conservative, although I would say that the question the Shammai uh, students would ask is, what does this mean today? Uh, not also acknowledging that this is God's word from eternity to eternity. They would be asking, well, what does it mean today for us today? And Shammai's school narrowed it down quite a bit uh, in that question of, can a man divorce his wife for any and all reasons? But their first goal was to just trap Jesus in something by which they could discredit him uh, among the, the crowds that were leaving them and, and following him. I heard something about, I, mean, I was reading in verses 1 and 2, that the Pharisees are getting more and more hostile towards Jesus. He's getting closer to Jerusalem, so there's definitely a transition in the book of Matthew towards uh, towards the cross, towards all of this. The Pharisees are getting more testy. And so like you said, their goal was not, okay, we're going to figure out divorce right now. It's like, how can we trip him up in his words? And as they ask that question, it kind of tells us that we, we, we might have this view that like divorce really didn't start becoming an issue till the 1950s. But according to what that question is there, divorce was an issue then. Did you find anything on that or any thoughts? Oh, sure. Uh, it's been a problem since uh, Adam and Eve had their first argument, I think. <laughs> um, Jesus uh, had had been to the Mount of Transfiguration. He was now setting his face toward Jerusalem on his way to uh, fulfilling his, his mission, which, of course, Satan knows this and is going to use whatever tools he can. And the Pharisees, probably unaware that they were simply Satan's tool. But the parables that Jesus was using were really slamming them. Uh, mm. They were sharp enough to figure out that Jesus in his parables was, was, uh, was bespeaking the very um, ineptness of the, of the Pharisees and the scribes uh, as well, uh, Sadducees to go along with them. And they were going to, they, they were just getting more and more upset at his teaching because more and more people were getting a grasp on what the Messiah really is. And, and, and why God would send him and how, how he could be recognized. And that 
led completely away from the theology of both Shammai and, and uh, Hillel and into the to the teachings of Jesus. And so, yeah, they're they're coming after him uh, with more and more intensity the closer he gets to his mission. And they're prompted by Satan himself, who doesn't want Jesus to carry out his mission. And so is there anything else? Jesus brings it back to simplicity. I mean, they're they're like way off the farm. And so he brings them back on the farm, if I can say it that way, and going back to the very beginning. But before we get to Jesus's words, did you have anything else you wanted to highlight in verses one through three? Um, no, that's probably about it. All right. So let's continue on uh, as we hear the words of Jesus. And it's really, um, it's really simple. But yeah, very profound and a reminder for us. And when we do discuss this subject, this is where we need to go as well as our Lord did. Verses 4, and we'll go through verse 6. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together let not man separate. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop there because he gets back to the basics. And what is, what is he telling them? Basically? I think there's a little snark in there as well, as Jesus says this, but what is Jesus teaching here? Um, well, the Pharisees, they, they try to use Moses as, uh, as their authority. Um, that, that comes up in verse seven, but, um, Jesus goes back further than, than Moses, he goes all the way back to creation. And I think verses four through six are best understood starting at verse six. Uh, the, all of four and, and five rest on the final phrase, let not man separate what God has joined together. Uh, joined together there in the Greek is actually the word glued. Mm-hmm. He's, he's glued them together. If you glue together two pieces of paper and then tear them apart, nothing's ever smooth there's 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 nothing um there's nothing easy about it at all it it leaves tatters and uh shards and that's what happens when man tears apart what god joined together so from that very perspective i think we can conclude without any question jesus says divorce is wrong Mm -hmm. it's just wrong it's a result of man's sin it's a sin when it happens and it's not something that's been um, ever a part of God's design. And his design is found in the word in the beginning, the creator. And he made them male and female, uh, very clearly gender descriptive, indicating once again, there's only two genders, not many of them. And sex and gender are synonyms. There's only male, there's only female. And that came about because that was the creator's ideal. That was his opinion. That was his work. It doesn't matter what we think, what we like, what we might want to identify as. Uh, Our identity is in the hands of he who created us, and that's male and female. And then he gives the directives whereby this relationship takes place. Uh, The man leaves his father and mother. Uh, He he establishes a new home by uniting, by being glued together to his wife. And the two are both man and woman, and that identity remains, and yet within the bond of marriage, there's a unity, there's a, a union, and, and in this case, a physical union, because it's, it's one flesh, 
where the two circles of male and female intersect. And there you have the picture of marriage. Uh, This is God's institution, and that's what he intends to uh, continue until he brings it to an end, and that happens when he brings one of them home uh, through the course of death. And uh, that's that's his answer uh, to the Pharisees who tried to trap him. And there's definitely not much wiggle room in this. It's not like, oh, well, you know, God said this, but I'll tell you this. No, he's pretty much a strong proclamation of it. Now, to reminder of this is that he's getting back to basics, and it's not the end of the discussion. But if you don't have this foundation, it messes up everything. And I like how you said this very well, is many times when we've had debates over the last number of years, recent history over marriage, many people would say, well, it never, it never addresses, quote, homosexuality. Jesus never mentions it. You're right. Okay, he doesn't mention it explicitly. But here he's definitely teaching what marriage is, a husband and a wife, like you said, glued together as one. And also with an understanding, I like that visual that you gave to us, because I heard one person kind of mention that when there is a divorce, it is much like you're trying to literally cut a person because, you know, you have one flesh, cut a person from head down to, you know, to their toes and cut them in half and act like that's not going to be an issue. Well, it is going to be an issue because this has been separated. It's no longer one, but it is separate. So he's teaching so much within these words and they're foundational for us to realize whenever there is divorce, there is sin. And, and that's something for us to start with that and then speak about those implications later. But he's definitely laying the groundwork for us to remember, let's let the Lord speak, not ourselves. Pastor, anything else, verses 4 through 6? Yeah, I think that it can be summed up in what you just said. Divorce is always wrong, and it is never God's will. And within that context, I think it's pretty clear what Jesus is talking about, the composition of a marriage is a male and a female. And the Greek word for female is one from, for the sake of a suckling, uh, for nursing. Mm. Mm. Uh, it, it's somewhat rare word um, that he uses there. But I think the rarity of that word is a specificity. Uh, be speaking the fact that there are those who physically are what they are, and they are nothing else, uh, both male and female. And that compatibility, that that cooperatability between the two is what constitutes uh, a marriage in God's eyes, and that's what he intends to keep together, that they share that one flesh union that they do not share with anyone else. And so we look at this, it does bring up a question, and the Pharisees, like you said, probably didn't care about divorce, but they did want to um, trip Jesus up. So they, they knew at least a few passages, and so they bring one up right away in verse 7. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Now, I want to stop there just because this reminds me of a lot of the current rhetoric where someone will say, I believe marriage is this, and then someone will bring up shrimp in the book of Leviticus, knowing full well they've never read the whole book of Leviticus, which we all as Christians you know, sometimes struggle with because maybe we haven't. Um, but they'll bring that up and say, see, you don't follow this. And then all of a sudden we feel like, oh, we've been destroyed. In verse 7, what are they referencing and why are they doing it? Uh, well, they're going back to Deuteronomy 24. Um 
would be, I think, the, the, the place that they're trying to quote. And I'm just not sure what script they were reading, but <laughs> true. it didn't say what they said. They're claiming Moses commanded that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and then send her away. Well, God never commanded that. Uh, that, that text in Deuteronomy um, does speak about the fact that if, if in the eyes of a husband, um, his disposition toward her is now displeasing, and what would be the reason for that? Uh, the Hebrew word there is, is because of indecent, inappropriate behavior. It's also used in other places to, to talk about nakedness. Nakedness, exposing sexual body parts, uh, displaying them and using them with anyone but their spouse. Uh, so it, it's Deuteronomy's way of talking about infidelity uh, and, and adultery. And when that happens, in reality, the divorce has already happened. Uh, one has joined themselves to another that they have not been given to. That's a separation. That's a tearing apart of what God put together since the one flesh union constitutes that act of marriage. They've one flesh unioned with somebody else. So to do that, they've torn asunder the previous and joined themselves to another. Now, Moses also uses a term um, for certificate uh, of divorce or a, a missive. Uh, that's a legal document, by the way, requiring authoritative approval. It isn't just the guy who says, hey, I, I'm going to write this up, sign it, and hand it to her. Uh, this required uh, governing authority to, to give their stamp of approval to it. In, in Jeremiah 32, that word is a, a legal deed of land uh, for ownership or for transfer. So that wasn't something somebody just up and did. Uh, there was more people involved than, than just the individuals. Um, but Moses was not uh, commanding divorce. What was he commanding? It, it's really kind of a, um, you almost have to have a, a flow chart to follow what he's talking about. So here's what he's saying. If you're, if you're married to somebody and she, she um, I'm just going to use she because that's the pronouns that are used by, by Moses, but it could be either or, he or she, creates a, a manner by which the dis disposition toward them is now ruined. In other words, you've, you've ruined the love that they had for you. It just doesn't exist anymore because of a indecent, inappropriate behavior, basically um, exposing and using sexual body parts. This certificate now constitutes the fact that they've gone off to another and they're no longer bound to you. Now that other goes off and marries another and then that, that marriage doesn't work out, and there's a divorce there, the command by Moses is you don't take that other one back. That, that's that's okay. really, it's, it's, a, it's a statement on remarriage, not on divorce. And I want to I hear a little bit more about that, but right now we need to take our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 19 with Pastor Brian Saunders, and we'll be right back.
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. studying Matthew 19 with the Reverend Dr. Brian Saunders, District President of the Iowa District East. And Pastor, as we looked at this, you made a point about how they were testing Jesus, um, and that same word is what the devil did when Jesus went into the wilderness. That This reminds me of verse 7, where they, and also verse 3, that it's very similar to back to Genesis as well, that the, the Satan's like, did God really say? And so that's really what they're doing. Didn't God really say? And then it goes back to that testing. You know, if you are the son of God, it's this constant testing. So we're definitely seeing the devil work in the midst of this. Any thoughts on that connection? Uh, yeah, that's, that's actually a really good point. Um, the, the only thing that Satan can do is misquote the word of God. <laughs> That's true. And that's, that's true. what he's uh, doing through the Pharisees. He's misquoting uh, Deuteronomy 24. Uh, clearly, the Pharisees didn't didn't uh, take to the fact that Jesus is the Word of God. Um, not only did he study it in his human nature, from I mean, it's 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 evident from what the age of 12, uh, and then mm-hmm. probably before that he was a great student of the Word. But he's the author of the Word. So he knows exactly what it says, and uh, from from the very beginning, from Genesis one, uh, Genesis one and Genesis two, and that's why he's quoting it um, both correctly and prior to the text that the Pharisees are trying to use in Deuteronomy to um, to trap him and to maybe even justify because uh, it seems as though divorce was pretty much a norm. Uh, in certain respects in that first century. It definitely felt like the debates that they were having at that time, like you said, two seminaries in the Jewish world had definitely led to it. You know what? Just let bygones be bygones and let's just let this thing go. And so it definitely was an issue in those days, as we would definitely say is a, is a struggle that we still have today. And and they're going back and forth, not <laughs> quoting the Bible correctly. So there's evil involved in this whole conversation, and Jesus brings them back. So they're like, hey, verse 7, are you saying Moses was wrong? And so let's now hear the words of Jesus. And I think that also applies for us today. Are you saying you don't believe in the Bible? Whatever it might be. So verses 8 and 9, Jesus speaks. And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Now, let's get back to the basics, because there's a lot of questions that come up with this conversation. But what is Jesus saying? They're like, hey, Moses Moses said this. Are you saying Moses wasn't right? And Jesus speaks. What is he telling them? Yeah, uh, again, that's probably the verse that gets targeted most by those who want to justify that, which is uh, never God's will. Uh, but I, I, where where 
where I think that when when uh, Jesus is saying that Moses allowed or or he permitted or or he let uh, the, the Greek word has all those connotations to it for divorce it's it's not because that's something he wills or something that he uh, supports uh, it's because of the hardness of your heart that that's a that's a dangerous um, word of identity. Uh, hardness of heart uh, is is an is an element of of such density that it breaks whatever it hits. Uh, the, the Greek word there, and is this this hardness of heart is breaking what God joined together. I mean that that's that's the density of this evil and the destruction it leaves in its path, and so uh, in, in a sense Moses is saying. The, the joining yourself to another just by caveat separates you from your previous. It ended the marriage. It, it, it ended that, that uniqueness of that solitary one flesh union you have with your spouse. And in a sense, took upon yourself another spouse, which isn't yours. So Moses is saying, this is what we're going to reveal to you has already happened. Um, so the certificate is a statement of that of which has already taken place. It's basically a public testimony of what privately has already occurred. And, and so, uh, what Jesus is pointing out to the hearers is that this thing that takes place in, in, and maybe in a, in a all too common setting in that first century and, and one could probably make the same application to our century today is uh, is because of sin. It's because of, of the a density of the hardness of the heart, uh, which which would also have implications that the Holy Spirit doesn't live there, uh, that forgiveness doesn't live there, that faith in Christ doesn't live there. Um, all of those are, are implications of what that hardened heart would be in a hardened heart only asks, what can I get out of this life? What can I get from you? Well, that's not what marriage is founded on. Marriage is founded on what can I be for you? Mm-hmm. What, what sacrifice is necessary on my part for you to be who you are as my spouse? And so there's no room for hardness of heart in marriage. Uh, and, and it's an identity of, of, of divorce. Um, so one, what's one of the acts of a hardened heart? One that says, what can I get for myself uh, when they're oogling and lusting after another uh, is, is uh, pornageia, uh, um, salacious sex w- with another, ad- adultery. And that's what a hardened heart does. And so when that act has taken place, um, the recognition of what's happened privately now becomes a public document. And so as you look at this, people get to verse 9, like you mentioned, and this becomes, it almost becomes going back to what the Pharisees are asking. Like, oh, okay, so, all right, so I can divorce, I can get a divorce if there's been sexual morality. That's like the, the one asterisk in this whole scenario. But is, is that what Jesus is saying? 
that there, there's one asterisk? Oh, by the way, that's wrong. But there's one asterisk in this. How would you? How would? What would you teach on that? I I think I would take the direction that that Jesus is identifying that in in a uh, in infidelity, divorce has already happened. Now let's see what we have to do here to bring these hearts to repentance. Uh, to 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 uh, to take that heartedness away uh, in repentance and confession, um, and the softness comes by by the holy absolution, um, which both creates and strengthens faith. And there you can live in the world of forgiveness. Doesn't necessarily mandate a divorce. Doesn't mandate that there has to be a public certificate to announce this to the world, even if it's taken place privately. Um, Jesus wants to bring them to the point of, of repentance and marriages can survive, uh, these kind of catastrophes, these, these failings. And so, uh, to me, that's what Jesus is really going to be, uh, be pointing at, particularly when he follows it up with, uh, the fruits of marriage verses 13 through 15, but we'll get to those later. Absolutely. And, and, and pastor, this, as you oversee pastors and church workers in your district, we all in the congregations, and you are listeners in your congregations, maybe even your own lives, when there is a divorce that happens or there is a crisis that is happening within a marriage, what would be your encouragement to a pastor as he cares for the souls of that husband and wife, the children, the extended family and everyone? What would be your encouragement knowing that this is messy, and Jesus doesn't go through the whole list of what about this, what about this, what about this, but these words are sufficient because they're from him. What would be your encouragement in the care of souls as they struggle through divorce or close to? Well, the goal is to to um, soften the heart, and that requires the law, which is heavier than the density of a hardened heart, uh, to break that up. Uh, to have the individual look inside and say, it's awful, it's terrible, what I've done, um, what, what I maybe plan on doing, and th- that sort of thing, and want to be as far away from that behavior as possible. That's called contrition. And then to bestow the holy absolution upon it, which is the softening factor. And so I, would, I encourage our pastors to be pastors, to apply the, the law and the gospel uh, to... Uh, to, to the to the individuals involved, and to work for and through forgiveness. Uh, the most important words that a spouse says to the other is not "I love you." I, I know we just came out of February 14th, but <laughs> that that is not that is not the most important three words that a husband or wife can say to one another. The most important three words are "I forgive you." Mm. That's the demonstration of Christ in their life. Uh, He is the forgiveness of sins. And therefore, as he has washed himself upon us, as he places himself into us uh, in Holy Communion, as he speaks words of endearment into our ears that penetrate all the way to the soul, what is that but the forgiveness of sins? Therefore, what do we speak to those who have sinned against us? Forgiveness. Hmm. That's the mark of Christ. In a marriage, that's the mark of Christ in our life, uh, being the forgiven, the community of the forgiven, and the privilege and the honor to bestow that very forgiveness. And so my counsel would be to bring them to repentance, 
and to bestow forgiveness. Uh, for as Paul says, we're new every morning in that forgiveness. Um, days are past. Wrongs are, are over. Can we go forward in the spirit of forgiveness? In the reality, not just the spirit, I mean the Holy Spirit, uh, but in the reality of forgiveness. It's no mistake that in chapter 18, leading up to our time in chapter 19, is a parable of the unforgiving servant. I think there's no mistake there, as you say that, Pastor, because, you know, how many times should I forgive my brother? I mean, this goes into our relationship as a husband and wife. How many times? Seven times? Okay, good. Um, we, we've got to seven, and he goes into 70 times seven. You know, I could I could see this in a marriage, and maybe you've seen this too, um, is, okay, 490, that's my max. And so you could see somebody starting to count the numbers, right? And Jesus goes through this parable and then talks about marriage in essence, and Pastor, what you just said, I think is so important for all of us, that how often do we say, make sure you don't go to bed without saying, I love you, but maybe we should be telling people in Christ, we shouldn't be going to bed unless we are saying, I forgive you in the name of Jesus. And that is a, that is a very key aspect to, as we look at the counsel we have. Pastor, anything else, verses one through nine, you want to highlight? Uh, no, no, not at all. Thank you. All right. So let's continue on because the the, <laughs> the 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 disciples enter in. So right to this point, we hear the Pharisees kind of tripping up Jesus. And now the disciples are scratching their head and going, I think that's really good. But what about this? And they ask about, should I even get married? I mean, I think this is also a very prominent thing in our world today, where young people will hear the struggle of a marriage and go, well, I'm not even going to get married then. And the disciples are asking a similar question. Verses 10. Through 12. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Oh boy. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So we could get lost in the weeds on this very easily. You know, what's a eunuch? What is he really trying to say? But Pastor, what's a main message that you would say and you teach in verses 10 through 12? Well, uh, I think the disciples are picking up on the fact that um, forgiveness is the manner by which we are united to Christ, um, or that Christ unites himself to us. And uh, faith is the manner by which we're united to Christ. And in the parables uh, that preceded this, both the Matthew 18 text of if a brother has ought against you, go and reconcile between the two of you um, tends to be overridden. And uh, the more people we can get on our side, the more right we are, you know, so we tell everybody about everybody else's faults. That <laughs> isn't the, the pattern. That, that's a, that's a slap in the face of our natural old Adam that, that wants to uh, justify gossip. Then you've got, uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant, which you very nicely uh, laid out. And the disciples are basically saying what's being said today. Well, then let's just not marry. Uh, but really what our, our people today go into, well, then let's just cohabitate. Yeah. So let's play house, even though we really aren't house. And that, of course, is always sin. And it is never, never God's design nor his plan. Um, it's, it's a relationship not built on commitment and sacrifice and willing to forgive. 
Um, so the disciples are are saying, you know, this this is pretty tough. If 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 a relationship is going to be bound on commitment and the need to forgive and or to be forgiven, then let's just not marry at all. And Jesus said, well, that's uh, there are some. There's some who can live like that. There's some who are born that way, who just have actually no, no desire for the opposite sex. Uh, there are some who were made that way for the service to the government, uh, the, the eunuchs. Um, and then there were those who had just made the vow and the commitment to uh, serve the church as, um, as their spouse, I suppose. Uh, would be a, a, an appropriate term. In other words, uh, a, a man wouldn't marry so that he's not distracted by all of the things that are involve spouse and family and can commit his time fully to, to serving the church. And, and I suppose a, a woman could do the same thing. Rome has taken that to another level. Uh, Rome has said that this is uh, forbidden for a man to marry if he's going to be in the uh, priesthood or if a nun is going to be in the sisterhood, she cannot marry either. They've made that a canon law. Uh, that's not what Jesus is saying in this in this set in a, 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 this text, and it cannot be used to support that that view. Um, the confessions uh, do uh, speak to that uh, particular issue in the apology under sacerdotal marriage. Um, that's uh, I believe it's Article Twenty Three in the apology. And uh, it, it's pretty clear that the, the reformers are not laying out that if you remain unmarried, you have merited some sort of righteousness before God, or that you have, uh, you're, you're two steps closer to holiness than those who do marry. Uh, it, it's just simply saying if there are those for whom it is possible that they are not going to be tempted to fornication, then, then fine. Then commit your life to that. Uh, but if it if that isn't your life, then um, then don't let yourself be swallowed up by the the inferno of passion. Uh, that's one of the things the Apology um, Article Twenty Three talks about. It says marriage is a, is a remedy for the natural desires and the lust that inflames it. So marriage is more necessary now. I found this a fascinating quote. Marriage is more necessary now than in the state of purity, the Garden of Eden. Uh, Melanchthon uh, wrote a fascinating line there, uh, that in the Garden of Eden, marriage was a blessing given by God, but it's more necessary now to prevent the uh, natural desires and lusts that come from uh, the, the, the relationship of being a man or being a woman. And so uh, that you know that's that's to me what Jesus is. Uh, well, that's what he's saying. It doesn't matter what he says to me. Uh, it's what he's saying. <laughs> it's what he says. <laughs> and it and it really <clears throat> it really is interesting. And he's saying you know there's some that this is true, but let's not forget the blessings of marriage, as you said, the union that we see in Genesis, as the the the, the reality. And we say this in our marriage right from our hymnal to not go in for in passion or lust, but to go for the blessing, you know, of this. And part of that blessing is that we're able to glue ourselves to this person and take care of some of these passions. 
and also the the well-being of our children, our extended family and neighborhood church, everything involved that proclaims the glory of what our Lord has given us in Christ. And so as we look at that, he says, yeah, there are some who can, but let's not start like going through the checklist here. Let's go back to Genesis and see what Lord has the Lord has given to us in marriage. So, Pastor, we have about seven minutes left in our time. We've gone through divorce. Is there anything else that you want to, uh, I don't want to say highlights the wrong word, but that's applicable as we look at divorce and marriage, especially for our day to day? Yeah, there is. And this comes out of the apology, too, uh, or as well. Um, in that same article, in that same uh, section on sacerdotal marriage, the, uh, the Lutheran fathers condemn the church for being an official voice in the ending of marriages. And I think that we as a church need to really give that some thought. Are we actually assisting? Are we helping the end of marriages? Are we doing everything we can to restore broken marriages? Are doing are doing everything we can to bring parties that hardened hearts to to repentance and then softened hearts with absolution? Are we doing everything we can to prevent these these things from happening by nurturing uh, husbands and wives, uh, families. Um, again, Melanchthon, I think, uh, makes an incredibly important point that the church cannot be an official voice for the ending of marriages. And so, Pastor, well, let me ask this. What, what, uh, what, what should we do? I mean, as you said, we don't want to be the ones that, uh, to help this ending, but so what do we do as we continue to uplift marriage and, and work with our families? Any, any practical thoughts? Maybe just a few minutes. Uh, visit the homes where there's a uh, struggle. Uh, oftentimes we're the last ones to find out, but yeah. go to their homes and visit. Uh, Facebook is not visiting. Email is not visiting. Phone calls are not visiting. Face-to-face. God did not send a text. He sent his face on, on the head of a baby born in Bethlehem. Face-to-face is how God interacts with us. And that's, that's what the, the pastor of the church is to do, is to get into the living rooms and see what's going on in their homes where there's struggle and difficulty and see what he can do to, to by devotion, prayer, and, and uh, pastoral care. Uh, resolve issues and uh, and restore relationships. Uh, should it go all the way to the cataclysmic end, somebody's a, somebody is uh, unrepentant, and unrepentant has to be dealt with according to uh, the the, uh, the scriptures of, of Matthew 18 and, and at other places. Um, the communion rail has to be denied to those who are impenitent for their sake. And hopefully, um, I had a situation in a parish many many years ago where um, church discipline was carried out in a divorce case. And 13 years later, that person came into my study on a Saturday morning and said, Pastor, I need forgiveness. I hadn't seen him in 13 years. And so we went to the altar and we went through confession absolution. And I asked her what, what it is today that brought you here. She said, Pastor, I've been to every church in town and they told me what I wanted to hear. You're the only one that told me what I needed to hear. And that brought her back. And uh, she died six months later. And, and so that's what we do. We trust the word to do what it says it will do, what it promises it will do, and, and uh, give venue for the Holy Spirit to do his work on those hardened hearts. 
And to your listeners, this is a great opportunity that if you are struggling in your marriage and there are struggles or you have gone through divorce, this is a perfect time to visit your pastor, um, to, to visit with him and to once again look to the Word of God as Jesus points us to the Word of God in this text to see that the forgiveness of sins is there in Christ and that we, this Lenten season especially, is for us, for you, for me, to look again at the Lord who has died for us. Now, Pastor, let's read the last few verses. We have about two and a half minutes left in our time, and hopefully we can get through this. Uh, Verses 13 through 15. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. Disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hand on them and went away. So, Pastor, with about two minutes left in our time, uh, it it brings back just, I mean, this is a commonly known uh, uh, story, is that the little children, let the little children come to me. What's happening? Well, I think here... um these verses following right off of uh, what we just read is that this is the fruit of marriage. In fact, this is where the fruit takes place. It takes place in marriage. Children are born from marriage. And uh, it's not a mistake that these two verses, three verses were placed where they are uh, in this, this defense of marriage. And so the fruit of marriage is, is uh, progeneration. It's children. And to me, verse 14, let the little children come to me. That's got baptism all over it. Um, that's where children are brought to Jesus. So parents who, uh, who are, are given the gift of children, give them back to God in the waters of baptism. Raise them in the manner by which he has given you, commending them unto the Lord, and they will follow through in the generations when we're not even around anymore. So to me, that's, it's just got baptism all over it. And it is a text we commonly will use for that. And he uses that language once again, such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And this is a common theme that we see. Dr. Gibbs speaks about this a lot in his commentaries about Jesus says, who is the greatest in this kingdom? A question that is asked. And what he does is he plops these little children in the middle of them and says, here it is, the greatest of the kingdom. Pastor, we have about a minute left in our time. How would you how would you summarize our, our verses that we read today, and how would you encourage our listeners? Well, you said it nicely. The greatest in the kingdom are those who are powerless, mm. those who do not look upon their own strength, their own abilities, their own gifts, their own works. It's the powerless. It's the man in the back of the synagogue said, Lord, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. That's the greatest in the kingdom, because they are the ones wrapped with the robe of Christ. And that's what marriage is. Christ marries himself to us in baptism. He's intimate with us in the Holy Supper. He speaks endearing words to us in holy absolution. And that's a pattern for our lives together as husband and wife and family in, in, the, in the ruling reign of, of God in his kingdom. Dr. Brian Saunders, District President of Iowa District East of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 19. Dr. Saunders, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Thank you. To you, our listeners, I highly encourage that you read this text once again. 
for all of you who have been affected by divorce, those who are maybe struggling in their marriage, once again, go to your pastor, go to your friends, go to others that will point you again to the gifts that we have in Christ. For there he points us to the forgiveness. And not only do we say these words, I forgive you to one another, but we know that he gives us that forgiveness on account of his cross. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.